It's such good shit. So I just wanted to start out with a hearty fuck you to Walmart. Because I get an email earlier today saying that, oh, sorry, we couldn't fulfill your order, so we're canceling it. My order was the Walmart-only Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio Ultimate figures that Walmart made such a big deal out of getting online and pre-ordering back in March. And now they've decided, well, we're not going to send those to you, so we're just going to go ahead and cancel your order. Like, why take the pre-order? Just don't do pre-orders. They never fulfill their pre-orders, so don't do them. It's Walmart we're talking about. I mean, you're not going to be a... It's like the Jerry Seinfeld thing, the, the, the skit from the rental car. Oh, I'm sorry, we have no midsize available at the moment. I don't understand, I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Oh, yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. <laughs> if you did, I'd have a car. <laughs> See, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just take them. Yeah, it's the it's its only job. It's right. the only thing that it's supposed to do. It serves no other purpose. Taking orders for something and then just going, eh, no, we can't. We're not going to do it. Why? What did that, for what purpose? It did nothing. It's not like they charge your credit card at the time. They don't charge you till they ship it. So they didn't take money from me. <laughs> like, Why? And of course, when people have reached out to Mattel to bitch about this, they're like, oh, we're working on it. Okay. Cool, thanks. Like, maybe working on it would be selling them directly through Mattel's website so we can order them. Or, I don't know, not having Walmart-only figures because nobody can ever fucking get them. It's like when, like, I went to uh, Shake Shack recently and they don't even have cashiers, but their like self checkout thing still asks if you want to tip them. And so it's like, I don't even know who I haven't seen a single human yet. Also, you haven't done anything to you haven't done anything yet to receive a tip for. It's okay, very so confusing. I, I agree with you. And I've seen this plenty of times. But I think you and I both know why that's there. From a software perspective, right? That was a default feature that was built into that POS software, and they didn't bother to turn it off. Or they got a discount on the POS system from having it enabled because those companies who produce those get a commission off the tips that you leave. Really? Yeah. They they have a financial incentive for companies to have that enabled. They're getting a piece of the pie. Yeah, of course. It, it, it leaves you wondering like how much, because by the time I was done working in any service industries like that just wasn't a thing yet. 
it became very widespread, like right around COVID time. So it was just too late for me to, to be in the industry to know what that's like. But it leaves you wondering how much of that money actually goes to anybody doing any real work in that restaurant. Because in my experience, unless you put cash in somebody's hand, they don't ever actually see that money. Um. Anyway, welcome to Such Good Shit, a wrestling podcast where the three of us, who are brothers, get together and talk about all the things that make professional wrestling such good shit. This past weekend, we had something that the majority of us, I think, would define as such good shit. And that was AEW's all-in pay-per-view from Wembley Stadium. I think we should just go through the card and just kind of talk about it and review it. So we kicked off with Punk and Samoa Joe for the... Well, we actually kicked off with... Yeah, uh, do we want to talk about... The uh, pre-show. The buy-in? Yes, let's talk about that. So I didn't watch the buy-in, though. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to (laughs) defer. Yeah, I missed that, the buy-in, because I was busy picking up groceries. So I also did not see it. It was it was acceptable for, uh, you know, pre-show to leave into a pay-per-view. I would say that if you were on the fence about buying the show, seeing the scale of it on the buy-in would have made you go, fuck, I really got to get this. Uh, And they made some really good choices on the buy in. Um, One of them being uh, putting the tag team championships on MJF and Adam Cole. The reason I say that's a a good idea is because it only leaves so many more questions about the main event. Um, Now we may fast forward to be like, why even bother, you know, eventually, but making this choice made the main event so much more interesting. Um, and the match was decent enough. It was also telegraph. I don't think any, we previewed this last week and I think we all agreed they were going to win the belts for the most part. It, it was it, more it than like likely the that right, they were going to have to. It felt like the right choice to make because it would have been the most intriguing. Although the argument could have also been made that there was a chance they could have broken up here and gone into the main event with a, you know, a big old question mark. Yeah, like, are they well, going to kill each other? Or you can break up nowhere. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think one cool thing about the match MJF does a great job with this, uh, was, you know, they run the story that he's hurt from the tag team match. Um, and then that bleeds directly into the main event. So when we get there, we can talk about that more. But I do like that they didn't pretend like it didn't happen. You know, it's like MJF is more banged up than Adam Cole coming out of the tag match. Just further communicate that, hey, MJF might be in trouble here. And uh, so the the next match was um, Jack Perry versus Hook. Um. Hook defeated Perry to regain the FTW championship in this match was fine. Hey, they did the glass spot. So yeah, it, the, obviously it should be a five star match now, Andrew. This, uh, <laughs> yeah, this match is gonna end up being only remembered for this situation now, which, uh, I don't know. I'm assuming we want to circle back to that later, right? 
Well, I mean, chronologically, it happens next, so maybe That's we get true. into it. So, all right. So, uh, during this segment of the show, Perry makes a comment into the camera that says, "Real glass, cry me a river." Um, this is no, of course Andrew, a he reference. Says it like this: "Real glass, cry me a river," because <laughs> he doesn't like, have a man's voice. That reminds me of it when. Did you guys see the LA Knight promo recently where he does the Miz's voice? Yeah. Fucking spot on impression of the Miz. <laughs> you know what's funny is I thought the Miz had an even better impression of LA Knight, but you know. They, yes. I think they both were able to do each other pretty well. God, that's, a fan, that's a fantastic TV. Two fucking stand up guys right there. Uh, anyways, yeah. So Jack Perry does this. It's obviously a knock at CM Punk and the, the rumors from a couple of weeks ago that we had talked about, uh, which leads into a confrontation backstage. Matt, I'm going to pass this to you because you've been keeping an eye on the dirt sheets and it seems like the story has been changing rapidly in the last 48 hours or so since the show. And I honestly don't know what the most recent version of events is at this point. Yeah, and even I'm not 100% sure because it keeps changing like as recently as a couple hours ago as of us recording this. Um, from what I understand is as Perry was coming back from his match, Punk approaches him because these imbeciles decided, let's put these two guys' matches back to back on the card. Surely there won't be any any issues in Gorilla. And so anyway, Punk supposedly goes up to Perry and says, do you have a problem with me? And Perry's response is, did you hear what I said out there? Which then leads to Punk choking Perry, also knocking over some monitors onto Tony Khan uh, during this melee, uh, which is apparently immediately broken up. And then we have moments of Punk whining and complaining that he hates it there. He doesn't want to work there and he's refusing to go out and do the match. Apparently this delayed the start of the show by 10 minutes. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Cause I was watching live and it was pretty on fucking time. Um, it, it's kind of funny cause I read a completely different account. Now, obviously I'm, reading the punk bias stuff, but the account I read was that punks and gorilla early, right? Because you want to be available when the show, you don't want people to have to go find you. Right. So he's in gorilla. Uh, Perry comes back through and either chirps at punk or goes up to him and kind of like bumps past him sort of a thing. Um, and that leads into a physical altercation. And from what I read, there were no punches thrown punk simply, puts him in a chokehold and restrains him, and then they get broken up. I did hear, though, Matt, the same thing about Punk basically saying, I hate it here. This is bullshit. Um, Samoa Joe basically had to calm him down and convince him to go out and do the match. Because well, Joe was like, I want to do my goddamn match in Wembley, so yeah, get your so best out there. I think part of what's missing here is apparently, I don't know how true this is, <laughs> nobody picked punk up from the airport <laughs> so he arrived saturday <laughs> that was another and thing <laughs> he gets there and he's like hey no one's here calls the number they gave him and it's a dead number 
<laughs> so he takes the train and this is verifiable because fans had to help him find his way yes. to his hotel. Okay. So on that topic, so he's probably though, pissed coming into the arena on that topic. Uh, what I saw, I think it was Brian Alvarez reported today. I don't know. A lot of different people are reporting little bits and pieces throughout the last couple of days. So forgive us for not being accurate here. Uh, but accuracy is not our strong suit. So, Apparently, Punk gets there and he's like, hey, whatever. And they go, okay, here's your options. We can send someone to get you. You could do this or you could take the train. And Punk decides to just take the train. He's given the option of we'll come pick you up. But either the timing was going to be he was going to have to wait a while or whatever. He's he's pressed for time here, too. It's the day of the show that he flies in. Which really poor decision to fly. I don't know. How do you not have a town car with a driver waiting for your biggest star? I wonder. Well, from my understanding, everybody else got there the day or two before. Right. Which makes it even more obvious that he should have someone waiting. They probably had. I could almost guarantee the situation was, hey, we're going to hire a couple of charter buses to transport everybody that's flying and like, Hey, everybody make sure your flight gets in by six, seven o'clock. We're going to load up and take everybody over to the hotel or whatever. And because punk wasn't part of that group, you know, kind of forgot about him. I wonder how much of that has to do with, uh, okay. Uh, we should take a step back before we go too far down the road. I think Andrew's got the Alvarez quote queued up, but before we get to that, a little more setting the stage here. Um, Obviously, I think we're all aware that Punk and Perry had an altercation a few weeks back about the glass, which led to the comment. Um, I think what wasn't reported originally was that Punk was not the first person to tell Perry not to do the glass spot. Apparently, multiple uh, people in leadership positions were trying to convince him not to. And then it came to Punk. They're like, hey, can you go tell him you can't do this? So I think that's the really ironic part of this whole thing is that it wasn't even like he was, oh, what's going on over here? And then went butted into. Okay, so what I had heard was almost the opposite, which was management okayed it. Punk comes in to the collision tapings and hears that this is going to happen. And he's like, no, 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 not on my show. I've heard two. I think we're basically hearing two completely different sides because there's the the Perry side of things and there's the punk side and we're, we're both hearing those and we're not hearing the right actual. I just think if you think about from punk's perspective, why would you go attack Jack Perry after you just got back from suspension? Yeah. I mean, this is where it's like, I, I definitely think that there was some reporting with the, with the elite previously, but Punk is the common denominator now. Like, you gotta... You can't be hot-headed if there's, like, a target on your back there. If people are well, gonna... you can if you want to get fired. Sure, I get... I mean, um, maybe he wants to get fired. Uh, my, I think my point still stands. If he just attacked Perry and initiated this, he would have been fired. There wouldn't be any investigation happening. Tony Khan was sitting right there. Yeah, I don't think he initiated it, but I think he also wasn't able to be the bigger man and just be like, hey, Jack, shut up and walk away. And Andrew, I think 
a point that's missing here is the real common denominator is people going into business for themselves at punk's expense. That is true. This can this all started with they're all in the same <laughs> group. People, people Perry, the Young Bucks, on. Hangman. It's all the same group. Also, um, can we talk about the fact that part of the story is also that Miro stepped up to Punk and then Punk's response was, do you want to take this outside? And, you know, Miro was just like, no, man. Which is on. funny Miro because what's come out now, him. well, what's yeah. come out now is Miro wasn't there. Didn't see it. <laughs> it wasn't a part of it. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't ver. Let me see if I can find so some evidence. I have that. the Brian what Alvarez I read is that he quote. wasn't there. I have the Brian Alvarez quote. This is on uh, Wrestling Inc., the 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 headline says Tony Khan, Samojo, Miro reportedly involved, but then the quote makes no fucking mention of Miro at all <laughs> in this entire event. So this is from this is the Alvarez quote. It was very quick, pretty much 100% say that Punk made the comment. He either shoved or pie faced Perry, grabbed him in the guillotine front headlock and was and it was like immediately broken up. Samoa Joe's right there. Everybody is right there. Nobody got their ass kicked, but I will say this. They got close enough to Tony Khan that I believe monitors were knocked onto Tony Khan. So he was right there and he saw everything. And a lot of people were right there and they saw everything. He he doesn't specify in the quote who it is, but he does go on to say, and so it ended up with Jack separated. Samoa Joe grabs him and they get broken apart. He uses a lot of uh, pronouns in here it doesn't uh specify. pronouns pal yeah doesn't quite specify who is who but I, th- I think i followed it um well he look he's not a real journalist so he's not going to write the most eloquent uh <laughs> report. well sure but he's the best we've got so because you can't trust Meltzer, quite frankly because Meltzer is the elite's best bu- buddy so anything Meltzer would report on this is you know coming from the the elite camp. I just think that if this happened on Vincent Mann's watch, Punk would not have been suspended. They would have had him on the pay-per-view this weekend in Chicago. And then if it really was his fault, that would have been it. He would have been fired after the Chicago show. Yes. Vince was very good about... Khan doesn't know how to do business. It's, Mm -hmm. how are they going to sell this pay-per-view in Chicago a week after they just did this Wembley show, now that they don't have Punk on the card? And it's not even just that. They're taping the, all three shows in Chicago. It was all built upon Punk's back. We're in Chicago, pay-per-view, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what Tony Khan's thinking. And Jack Perry except- is, quite frankly, a jobber. He lost on the pre-show to a guy who wrestled like five times this year on TV. So it's just to me like... Make up, make up your mind. I think Tony, come what you want to do, either fire punk or fire uh, Jungle Boy. We can all agree too that you shouldn't be going through an actual windshield. It is too dangerous. You could cut an artery and die. It's insane. Yeah, look at Goldberg. <laughs> like, so we've insane. we've been through this. Just before we move on, I do want to follow up. So there is information on Miro later on. So this will kind of clear up how Miro's even involved in this, if he's involved, because this mentions both things. So um, after initial reports suggested that Perry came at Punk and got choked, 
moments before Punk's match with Samoa Joe, TNT champion Miro claimed, or former TNT champion Miro claimed via Twitter that this side of the story was fake and untrue. But according to Alvarez, this was a result of Miro getting into an argument with Punk after successfully defending the championship. So this is after the match that Miro's involved. Um, Alvarez says that he was told that Punk approached was approached by Miro as he walked through the backstage curtain following his match with Joe. After Miro asked Punk what happened with Perry, Punk reportedly asked Miro if he had a problem with him as well, which is wild. Like, hey, what happened? Do we have a problem? <laughs> it sounds completely nonsensical that he would have done that. It, that um, sounds like something Punk would do. Um, <laughs> just... I feel like we can't get lost in the fact that Punk went out there professionally. Like, he had no idea. You were none the wiser. Went out there, was a pro, and had a great match. And represented the company well. Um, So it's just kind of like you hear all this stuff backstage. But by all accounts, when it comes to in the ring, he's a professional above board. Um, So it's... I don't know. It's tough. Like Andrew, I hear you're saying that he's the common denominator here with all the drama. But at the same time, in the bubble that is collision, it seems like he's been a very positive influence. Mm-hmm. I think there are certain people, the locker room's divided. There's certain people that don't like him because they want to go through windshields and super <laughs> kick each other 50 times. Like, that's what it is. That's honestly what it is. The non-professionals have a problem with punk. They don't care to do what he wants to do. They don't care about that style of wrestling. They don't want to be like they don't want to have anything to do with the WWE style, which I can sort of understand. But also at the same time, the WWE style works in certain ways in terms of storytelling and safety and booking a match correctly. And we'll get into that as we talk about this show, because I feel like I don't I don't think that the agents booking this show um they they know don't how to they don't know how to works. do a finish. Yeah. That that was a big thing. A lot of these matches had kind of bad finishes. Even Punk's I didn't quite like that much, but it made sense for an opener. But then they did a very similar energy to every finish the rest of the show. Um yeah, it will so I think the biggest indictment on AEW has always been and continues to be there's no protecting of spots for any of the matches up card. And so to answer to your point, all of the finishes were kind of the same. Every single match was spent half the match on the outside. There were multiple extreme rules matches. Um, There was just nothing left to do when you get to the main event, which is when we get there, even more credit to Cole and MJF that they made it entertaining and unique considering everything in the book had been done in terms of moves, you know? Um, I guess we can jump into the, the match itself, unless there's something else you guys want to say on the. No, we've spent. Yeah. I'll I'll just minutes just on the drama. I'll just clarify. So the PW insiders, the ones that claimed that the Miro thing didn't happen. So there's where the discrepancy is. Alvarez says it did. He was told by sources and <laughs> PW insider claims that that's not true at all. Um, so we can, we can move on to the match. I thought it was uh, great. 
for an it's opener. A, it's a, it's a perfect opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this is textbook what you want to do. I loved that Samoa Joe doesn't kick out of a move off the top rope because in reality, if you take a bump like that, you should lose. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and it was cool seeing devastating the Pepsi shit too. I feel like we haven't seen one in the, the Pepsi he maybe plunge hasn't was done fucking one. great. He probably hasn't done one since he's been back. I, I feel it. like he did one very early on when he first came back. I could yeah, be mistaken. It, it was a great match. Told a fantastic story. They they mm-hmm. really had the crowd in their hands. I mean, this very much an old school match. I loved it. So there's a perfect opener. I loved the the announcer table spot. It's crazy. Like I don't think I've seen something like that before. It's very unique. The way Punk goes in a like, great way to set up the, the table too. Yeah, to where it doesn't look like fucking obvious that you're cutting your head. You know, no, that it's very they did a they, they did a spot that made sense that Punk was just covered in blood, and then you have Joe follow up before before you notice how much blood is on Punk's head. You have Joe follow up by by making it look like he's hard way punching him in the, the top of the head, so it really gets it moving before it looks unrealistic. Um, and like I said about the the finish. I liked it in a bottle because I didn't think that it was going to keep happening this way where it's kind of like slow trotting and then, oh shit, big move. And that keeps Joe down. And I liked that because you don't see that as often. Everything's very high intensity, high energy these days. Um, So again, in a bottle, I thought it was a great way to end the match. Yeah, it's a David versus Goliath story, even though Punk has this main event prestige to him. You know, he's never, I guess he's beaten Joe now twice, but he'd only beaten Joe once coming into this, and they made Joe look like, I think Joe comes off better. I mean, if you think about Joe's role on AEW television prior to Punk showing up, he's basically a non-factor, right? He's just in some six-man tags every now and then and is on ROH, which is a crazy use of Samoa Joe. He's better than... What, everybody except for MJF on the roster? I mean, he's one of the top two or three guys they have. Yeah, they now he's him. what he should be, which is a, a big, scary guy that will beat the shit out of you. And you have to fear him. And to to get a win over him, it's not just beating him, it's surviving you be, him. Yeah, you got to get lucky. You've got to hit him with a big move out of nowhere. You, you got to hang in there through all the uh, punishment. Yeah. Um, so speaking of punishment, takes us to our second match. Uh, so this was the Golden Elite versus uh, who the fuck was it? Kenny uh, Kotobushi and Hangnail. Um, the pop for Kenny Omega was outrageous. He might have had one of the biggest pops of the night. Kenny Omega's still one of the greatest wrestlers on the You just forget about it because he spent so much time with the Young Bucks and they don't get the same kind of reaction that he does. And and he's really he's still spending time in these multi-man situations. That's the biggest indictment on this match's existence is why the fuck is this what you're doing with Kenny Omega? It it should have been Omega versus Punk at this show. Um, Now, they probably missed opportunity. They probably feel vindicated that that didn't happen. Although I wouldn't put it past the Young Bucks to have egged on uh jack perry to do what he did but yeah i think that was the move for sure 
I'm sure that, I mean, there's no way that Kenny Omega is getting like saddled with this, that this is his choice, but it is surprising. I wonder maybe is this like a confidence thing after the injuries he had that he's like, I'm going to be in these multi-man matches, not do as much. Well, he got dropped on his head like a month ago. Matches. Yeah, but again, only have a he few big took an unprotected pile driver like from now on. <laughs> idiot. So <laughs> he obviously doesn't make good choices, Andrew. So yeah, it probably is his decision. It's just it's unfortunate. I, I think that a show this big, it's crazy you don't have him on in a marquee singles match. Yeah. With somebody else like Punk, MJF. I know you don't have Danielson, but that would have been awesome to run that back. Um I mean, I just and feel I like had there's, heard there's that talent was actually on the, the show for that. Although knowing Tony Khan, they probably would have put Danielson in the stupid stadium stampede, which I guess we'll get to after this. But I, I thought this match was fine. I mean, the, the match the, was fine. The Golden Elite yeah. is fantastic. I am such a Switchblade fan, um, and I I think Juice Robinson's really good too. He was kind of like the forgotten tag along when Jay White came in, but. They're both really talented. There's a reason they're on the A show. So do we want to go ahead and move on to the next match then? Mm-hmm. Cool. So we had the AEW Tag Team Championships were being defended. It was FTR versus the Young Bucks. Uh, just right off the bat. So I don't like the Young Bucks, but this is a really good match. And I, I mean, I... <laughs> yeah, this was... Is exactly what you would expect out of these two teams. Like it, it was, and it was both of them at the highest level. Um, I don't think it's my fa- my favorite AEW tag match is still the the Bucks versus uh, Penta and Phoenix and the and the Cage from like a year or two ago. But this was a very 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 good tag match, and it was surprising. Um. I really thought with everything going on with uh, Cash Wheeler that we were going to see FTR drop the straps, and we didn't. And not only that, is they look strong as hell coming out of it, too. Yeah, very surprising. I think knowing what we know about the power the Young Bucks have, I don't think any of us believe that they were going to allow themselves to not win in Wembley. Um but credit to them. I think this was the right booking call too. Because yes. the Young Bucks are not as hot as FTR is right now. Um, it is a shame that we didn't get this match a year ago when people were really clamoring for it. This did feel kind of rushed and put together. It reminds me a little bit of when you finally get Hogan Flair in WCW and it's like too little, too late, out of nowhere. Yeah, kind of, except this was an awesome match. But yeah, I it was a great saying. match, but um and the crowd was hot for it. They're just not as hot for this as they are for other things on the card. And I think a year ago this could have maybe even main evented. So I was about to say this could have main evented a pay-per-view a year ago. Yeah, I, my only gripe on this match is this was another one where I I liked the finish, but it felt sort of like this a, a similar energy to the finish that we had in the, the CM Punk match, which is, is another big marquee match. And it's kind of like things are moving a bit slow. Everybody's exhausted. And then all of a sudden it's a shatter machine and that's it. No, not on this one, because they 
There were multiple falsies that were very good falsies. There were, though. but once we got to the end, and maybe this is just the WWE style, but you you, you expect that like, oh, somebody's going for their finish, reversal, finisher kind of thing, or things are moving really quick, and then there's a little more breathing between each thing. It, it, this was just a, a bit slower to it, and what like they hit it, and it was like. I didn't even know that like we were in that. I didn't know that they had the momentum to do it. And I, I think that that's something that I don't want to say in the WWE style, but they do it very often is superstars. Don't just hit their finisher out of, out of nowhere. Very few people do that. It's you're building momentum to it. And it felt like the momentum had kind of gone away after the last false finish and they hadn't built back up to it. All of a sudden it was shatter machine and over and it, this is like a common theme throughout the show where the finishes kind of seem like, oh, cool. You're not like, I wasn't counting the pin because I just didn't think that like the match would end there. The energy didn't feel like, oh shit, here we go. And See, I, felt I didn't like that feel that lot. way on this match. The rest of the show, yes. This one, I didn't feel that way. I thought they had earned the moment when when we finally hit that last shatter machine and that was it. So then uh, Alex is going to love talking about this. Um, next up was the stadium stampede uh, between the <sighs> Blackpool Combat Club with Santana and Ortiz versus the best friends, Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, and Penta L Zero Miedo. Yeah, I, I've got two things, and then I will not say anything else about this. <laughs> <laughs> One... The spot where Moxley gets stabbed in the head with the uh, wooden stakes. Why? Just why? (sighs) Why? And then what I would say in general, why is any of this happening? Just why? Why do you have Wheeler Yuta mean mugging with cargo pants on? Why? Just why? Cesaro is one of the best wrestlers in the world and he's doing this shit. You've got the fucking minivan. I mean, this is like <laughs> the indie riffic match on the card. So I can answer part of your why. This AEW is very good about fan service, right? Like one of the big complaints that we generally have with WWE is they wait too long to give us what we want. And then by the time they do, we don't want it anymore. Or they just don't even give it to us because something peters out. Okay. But AEW is very good at, I won't say very good. They do it often where they give us fan service on a silver fucking platter. Here you go, right? And for better or for worse, that's just how they do things. Um, I thought it was fun. It was goofy. It was, it reminded me of a combination of WrestleMania 17's gimmick battle Royal and that hardcore match with Kane and big show and Raven where they went backstage and were dicking around on the golf cart and almost cut the power off and all that stuff. It kind of reminded me if you, if if you took the two things together and and that's kind of what this was, they were all over the place. There were a lot of people conceptually. I get it. It's just, there's too many people. The camera is hanging around. I couldn't imagine trying to watch that live. 
Because where do you, what do you focus on? I, I think the monitors. So, I mean, obviously on the, the live feed, there was points in time where they were doing like split screen for several minutes because there is no timing of the spots. So it's just like Moxley's, you know, throwing people through like barbed wire boards on one half of the screen. And then Wheeler Yuta is somewhere like in a press box, like beating somebody up with an umbrella. And you're just like, okay. And, and I think that that's mm. the, the, the problem with it is only, only like two of the violent spots really felt significant because they're just happening while something so, else is happening. And so much shit happens in the match that it's like you can only have one or two memorable things, maybe three in a really well done match. But when you have this many people all taking crazy violent spots, I don't really remember. Like, I remember the, the Moxley things. It was disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the glass, uh, Orange Jeez. Cassidy doing the glass. Yes. And then I remember um, Penta's <laughs> the uh, ladder, ladder table spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's it. But there's just so much other shit. Like people got fucked up in this match. I don't even remember like what happens to half of them. Cause it's just, it was too. Yeah, there's probably people who got seriously injured and for no reason. For what? Hammered. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's to stroke Moxley's ego more than anything. He loves this shit. He well, I mean, the camera it. was on him a lot, but it's just like everybody. Else, it's like, then just don't have all these extra people in the match. If the focus needs to be on a couple people. Right. It's like, just put Moxley in a death match with whoever. There's no need to do this. Well, you could have done a trios for this. You could have done three on three. It could have been chaotic, but structured correctly. Like you can do this. This is, this is why war games was so good because it put everybody in. It's contained. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Look, I, I liked it for what it was, it's not the kind of match I want to see all the time, right? Like, if they don't trot one of these out for two years, fine. <laughs> the problem is they will have one on the next pay-per-view. Almost guaranteed. See, and they do it every pay-per-view. They need to not. Like, this is a once-a-year at most, I would say once every couple of years kind of thing. The next pay-per-view is in, like, four days. <laughs> yeah, so probably not, well probably not one. that one. But they will have a six-man tag minimum. They always have at least a match with six people minimum. So I do, since I brought this up, when you bought all in, do you get all out? Like they must, there's no No. way they're going to get pay-per-view buys. No. No, Especially (laughs) pay-per-view buys this weekend are going to be fucking terrible. It's going to be the worst. If there's no MJF title match, presumably there's not, and there's no punk, why would you order the pay-per-view? Unless it's going to be like a, it's just on TNT. It's like a special episode of Dynamite kind of thing. Because they've done that before when they used to do the Saturdays. They're putting this on pay-per-view for presumably $60. I think the main event, unless something changes, is going to be Darby Allen versus, I don't know if it's Luchasaurus or Christian at this point. Um, First one of them. I think this is Darby's show to win the... Uh, the tv title do that on dynamite right you don't need that's a pay-per-view that's a quintessential do it on tnt since it's the tnt championship it's actually hilarious and it's like that is something you do on dynamite and it's it's still like a oh that's the dynamite main event that's cool i'm gonna skip this episode then 
I can't like <laughs> what what match was up next? Was it the Derby match? Did I make a good transition? No, actually, God next is the it. AW Women's World Championship match, which was fine. Yeah, it was, it fine. was fine. It was a little short, but it was fine. I'll say, I'll give them credit. They kept the show moving in the early matches. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good to see Paige or uh, Soraya get a win. Um, it, I, it I think her sense. family was a little too involved, like they were almost stealing her spotlight yeah. coming in. And you know, based on what we saw with the the documentary, you know they this was really the last gasp of there. fame yeah. for that. Yeah, 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 it's like this is going to be huge for our business. We got to get right. out there. Um, I did think it was cool that Soraya got special music for it. Although here, here's my only problem is there were multiple Queen references throughout the night in different matches which i get it it's wembley and that's the site of their yeah, we just concert. didn't need jericho doing uh, we didn't Freddie need Mercury. it be, but we didn't need it done for t- there were four different incidents where somebody paid tribute to queen either the music or yeah the outfit it should have just been just page that could right. have been enough you, this and, is and, and this is the perfect reason why wwe and AEW are different wwe looks at the cohesive thing and says, no, 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 we're going to do it one time. This is it, right? AEW, it's just, yeah, do what you want. Yeah, go through the glass. Yeah, everybody can uh, can have a table spot on this show. We don't care. It's like, okay. And you know what kills me with the Freddie Mercury thing? You have Emmy Sakura. That's her gimmick, is basically being Freddie Mercury. She wasn't even on the card well, Jericho, I mean, there's so many English born wrestlers on this card for Jericho to do what he did is just he's such a piece of shit. He really is like he only cares about himself. <laughs> it's it's insanity. It's a vanity project. This is the only chance he'll ever have to have thousands of people singing along with him. So he took advantage of it. Took advantage of all the people there to see other wrestlers and did the Freddie Mercury thing. I thought that was like so embarrassing. I know we're like getting out of order here, but the the Jericho singing himself down was an embarrassment. It was a disgrace. Yeah, Matt had it right about WWE thing. I mean, even back to last Friday, the tribute show, WWE was careful about the tribute show. Everybody can wear all the, the, the merch they want to celebrate these people. They can do certain moves to celebrate these people. But only L.A. Knight was going to come out and talk about Bray Wyatt. Only Cody was going to come out and talk about Terry Funk. Nobody's going to go into business for themselves and make one of those tributes feel more significant than the other. WWE had a plan to make sure that the show was cohesive and fair. And that's like, this is exactly the kind of thing that AEW doesn't do well is they don't like I guess they don't talk to people or they just don't care it's like yeah go out and do whatever you want I, I think they just struggle to tell people no that's why they have to have punk do it it just boggles my mind <laughs> that you had two two different wrestlers having gear modeled after the exact same Freddie Mercury outfit well, you had back to back wrestlers come out with english themed music because we had god yeah. save the queen right after soraya comes out the guy okay the god save the queen i get why she did that because she's been doing this whole thing about ugh, england ugh. Sure. i get that 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 was fine i wouldn't i didn't but it's count just that they were the, back to back 
sure, they could have separated them a little bit. It's just, yeah. But anyway, the women's match was good. I know there was a lot of people complaining about it was good storytelling. I'm looking forward to Soraya versus uh, Tony Storm. They're teasing it, and it's going to be good. I thought the storytelling with the with the potential breakup with them and bringing Ruby out also to to be like, hey, da da da, like uh, that was well done. Uh, so up next was the coffin match, right? Dare I say the match of the night? I I quite enjoyed it. I don't know if I would call it match of the night, but this should have been the only car crash match on the show. I yeah, it was either to me it was either this or the stadium one. You couldn't doing both was kind of nah, much. These guys took a beating though. I was so uh, impressed were, with some of the spots that they were doing. There were some bumps that people took on um the coffin, not- notably Darby, that I was just like, holy shit, dude, you're going to fucking kill well, yourself. And then Darby like, dents the coffin and then Sting gives, I can't remember who, a suplex onto the coffin where it's got the, the part was bowed up. <laughs> and yeah. I thought he was going to like impale him. Yeah, that was a little rough. Um, also, Sting um, doing the thing, jumping off to the outside Absolutely through the table. Crush. Who did he jump onto? I keep getting it. It was Christian. Christian. No, I think it it was Christian. It was Swerve. He absolutely crushed. He just lobs himself onto it. Yeah. You know, no protection. He just like butt onto Swerve's gut. It's like, dude, you are what? A three, four, five time WCW champion. You're a hall of famer. You're 64 years old. You don't need to do this, but there's a big difference between sting doing this kind of stuff and in the past, when you've seen old timers kind of, for lack of a better term, whore out their legacy to make money, like Sting's not doing this for money. He's certainly not going through the motions. This reminds me of Terry right. Funk, honestly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Terry, like late Terry gave it 110% Funk. until he physically could not do it anymore. And that's what Sting's doing. Let me be clear Sting is 64 years old. He is a different breed of human being. That man is a he, he looked great animal honestly. and it's it is so awesome. And as long as he's healthy, like he's one of those. He's so much older than some of the people we've seen wrestle who are way too old. I don't get nervous watching him wrestle, though. It's something about no. the condition that he keeps himself in the way that he's built at his age. Like he doesn't look sixty four really. If he and was that main eventing a show, paint, I would I'd buy it. <laughs> like yeah. if you told me it was going to be him versus MJF, I'd be like, holy shit, we got to buy this. Yeah, because it's believable that a they're going to have a good match, but b like they might give him a belt. <laughs> like there's no reason why they it's wouldn't sting. Of course, yeah, it's remarkable that. All those years when he was in TNA, especially getting into the later 2000s, where it's like, well, Sting's winding down anyway, so there's no reason to (laughs) worry about him coming to WWE. And you look back, it's like, man, if he would have jumped ship, he would have had like a 15-year run in WWE. Okay, so here's what's... Okay, imagine me walking up to you in 2001. Nitro just finished the last episode, right, where Sting fought Flair. And you're like, okay, is Sting going to go to WWE? Which obviously he doesn't for a long, long time. 
But if I told you, hey, man, 22 years from now, Sting's going to wrestle in a coffin match on pay-per-view against Christian, you'd be like, the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, be like, is it because he's fucking, is it because he's dead? Is that why it's a coffin (laughs) match? What do you mean? (laughs) Consider this. If Sting hadn't left WWE, if he didn't have to retire and then take time off and then come back, he would have, I I think at this point, he'd have a longer run than Steve Austin. Uh, yeah. We're coming up on like nine years since he debuted in WWE. (laughs) He came back in 2014. It's absurd. And yet, I think it's, we talked about this either last week or the week before when we said like, you can't think of a single bad thing that he's been involved in this whole time. It's unbelievable. Um, I do want to point out really quick before we move on. Um, they kept doing the spots where somebody would go in the coffin, but they'd stick their fingers out, and then the other guy would like smash the fingers or smash the thing into it, which was fun. At the very end, when Swerve was in there, some of his dreads were still sticking out. And so I, I said to myself, and a lot of other people online were like, uh-uh, he's still hanging out. It's not over. Can we talk about how the cameraman for AEW or the camera crew consistently ruins spots like the sting baseball bat survival spot. It's like the camera has to be turned to where you don't see him gearing up to put the bat in place. Like you, you just, you, you can't record that, you know? I mean, there were multiple times where like, they just do this all the time where they'll like show a super kick, not touching anybody or show like punches, not touching anybody. It's like, come on guys. That's another area where I think AEW and WWE differ is the production quality is just night and day. And I I think that that goes back to it's sort of related to the issue we were talking about earlier, where there's no oversight. And if there was, you would know like, hey, what are your big spots? Let's work this out. Let's tell production. They'll know what's going on. It's hard to blame the cameraman if they don't even fucking know what the wrestler's doing out there. And and I think that that's like WWE, I I, I would say you got, like, I don't like that people don't have as much freedom sometimes, although it's hard to tell if that's still the case at this point because WWE's quality has gone up tremendously, but it makes you wonder like you could you not have like hey give us these big moments what are your big things like at least even the false finishes or is there anything that you're going to be doing that we don't need to film like you got to have oversight production's got to know that that's coming people have to be informed you got to have people in headsets so as, i would as also frustrating say as that is it's not necessarily that production needs to know ahead of time as long as a couple of things are in place one, you have enough cameramen around the ringside area to capture multiple different angles at all times. Okay. Number two, you have cameramen who have done wrestling specifically and know what to look for in general and know what to not watch in general. Right. If you if you pay enough attention to things, you would have enough knowledge to go, hmm. I don't need to be showing this right now. I don't need to be looking at this. Let me look at this guy instead, or let me look here or zoom in or out. 
so you have that. Then you have a director who's competent enough to be watching things and going, okay, I can sense the motion of this match. I can tell where things are going. Let's use this camera. Go to that one. Go to this one. I don't know that all of those are true for AEW the way they are for WWE. I thought that one of the big things with with AEW not too long after Dynamite came to fruition that everybody was talking about and everybody was excited about is that they got like Kevin Dunn's like right hand man who had been working at WWE for like a decade to be their their lead. Okay, dude. I mean we've seen WWE right hand men go to other companies and fucking run them into the ground. So <laughs> like a, a... that guy doesn't know jack shit about anything. I I I don't want to like yeah I don't want to trash the. It's guy also possible if you've only got two cameras around the ringside area versus five, there's only so much you can do with that as a director. Yeah. Right. It. And again, how good are those cameramen? Again, I'm not despairing. I don't know these guys, but I just know the way to get around those issues is multiple camera people who know what they're looking for and what not to look for, and a director who knows how to kind of read the flow of things. Simple. Simple, in quotations. To put a bow on this, obviously the sting being a superhero is a big takeaway from the match. I think the other one for me is Darby Allen's really a star. Um, he's been slowly getting better and better over the last year. He's so damn believable for someone his size too. Um, you know, I think he's got like Jeff Hardy upside for that company. If they can slowly build him and do it the right way. If they yeah, if they do it right, I think that they could give him a underdog world championship win, even if it doesn't last long. He he's just so damn popular and he's just getting better and better and better. Speaking of better, better and better. Not this next match. Uh so next we had Will Ospreay versus Jericho. Um I mean like the match was fine. I kind of zoned out, and I don't know if it's either just because I was fatigued at this point with so much wrestling, but it was just, I don't know, I just didn't care to see those two fight. I just didn't. Just wasn't into it. I liked it decently well, more than I thought I would. Um, Will Ospreay, if... (sighs) If he could just get into a situation where someone could train him how to wrestle, it could be very good. Um, there's just, you know, it had a lot of the classic Will Ospreay stuff I don't like. Too much cooperation. Um, I think Osprey's selling leaves a lot to be desired, too, because he doesn't sell. Because <laughs> those matches that they fight in Japan, they don't sell. So he's never had to learn. Uh, I just think his fundamentals aren't very good. But I thought the match was fine. Biggest complaint for me was just Jericho's pomp and circumstance was bad. And then even like after the match is over, they made it about Jericho where it's like, ah, he lost again and he's throwing a fit. And you know what I yeah, mean? What the fuck? Like, he why? just keeps making everything about himself. The whole match was about Jericho and it could have been an mm-hmm. opportunity to showcase Osprey and convince him quite frankly when his contract's up with new japan to come to aew and not go to wwe and instead they make it all about jericho 
Yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, I, I guess, stupidly had higher hopes. I was like, you know, Jericho really can deliver when uh, the time comes. And I mean, he's going up against Will Ospreay. I feel like they're going to be able to do something interesting. It's going to be feel very indie because it's Will Ospreay, but it should be really good. And it was just like fine. It was good. I was I was whelmed by it. Yeah, that's the best way I could put it. I was I was entertained enough. Yeah, if I only watched the match, I would have been fine with it. Again, it's just the before and the after pissed me off quite a bit. But <laughs> well, and quite frankly, the match before this and the match after this were both better. So again, it just was kind of like. Mm. Um, so that takes us to the main event, which, in my opinion, was match of the night. Oh, we're missing one. Oh, God, that's right. We are the the trios championship, the acclaimed. Yes. And, uh, Billy Gunn versus the House of Black. <laughs> uh, it was fun, I guess. I mean, it needed to be here. You needed if you, you the Jericho Osprey match didn't end up being as great as we all wanted it to be. But when you're building a show, your expectation would have been like that could have taken the fucking wind out of the stadium if it was, you know, a spectacle. Um, so you needed to put this here and it was fun. It was good. A good little break before the main event. So all the praise we bestowed upon sting, I'll say the opposite for Billy. He looked so winded, <laughs> so tired, so slow botching clotheslines. I mean, and he's, he's been so good jacked. pretty recently. So I don't know if he just had an off night. Matt had said that maybe he got blown up from, I don't know the long ramp. I don't know, but like but a long ramp off. should not kill your conditioning. It's funny because remember, was it like a year ago? We went to AW to that um, dynamite or rampage or whatever the fuck show it was. And Billy was like the highlight of the night. Yeah, Cause he's just so fucking big. <laughs> he's looked good even recently. Yeah. It, I think it was just an off night for him or, or literally a sp- the series of spots that he was doing right before just took the wind out of his sails. Um, I loved House of Black's white gear. I thought that was cool. Obviously, I don't expect them to be doing that all the time. I think as as a one-off or whatever, I thought that was a really cool thing. Um, And I've never really been into them that much, but this match kind of changed me on that. Um, I really dug how they work together and just their the vibe that they had. Uh, and I loved at the end where they gave the belts over as a sign of, Hey, yeah, we're the heels and we're assholes, but like you guys beat us. We respect you. Yes. And I, and I love that because they can still be heels. They can still be douches and do evil things. Cause they're not douche heels. They're evil heels. You can still do those things, but have respect for your opponent. Yeah, and it adds a layer of character that makes them unique to other people. It's one thing that Gunter also does. He's a he's a man of honor. That's a part of his character. It doesn't matter what kind of heel he is. He's a man of honor. So it helps guide his character. And they kind of have the same thing where they're not, you know, chicken shit heels, which basically is like nowadays, if you're a heel, you're going to cheat to win all the time. And instead, they just they're fucking assholes and they're bad guys. They're evil, but they have like 
certain things that they don't do that make them unique to everybody else who's being a heel. Okay, you know, you so, said something interesting about the code of honor and all that stuff. What if, what if there was a promotion where everybody had to adhere to some sort of code of honor? Maybe you shook hands in the beginning of each match to show that you were adhering to this code of honor. You know, in the ring, it's simply too of late honor. to be doing this. I think Tony Khan would would buy it and then put all of his fucking (laughs) put all of his expensive guys in title spots instead of pushing young stars in a company like that was built on doing that. So I've got something to say about this match. Um, I'm very thankful that uh, Buddy Matthews didn't have to take the pin for once. Um. Because he, quite frankly, is probably has the most potential out of that entire group, just in terms of his work rate. He had that match with Andrade on the Collision kickoff show, uh, whenever that was, two months ago now, and it was fantastic. He's so talented. Um, and, you know, he uh, married wrestling royalty, so good for him. Um, Birdie King is terrible. Like, I get that he's big and has a unique look. He is awful. He looked every bit as bad as Billy Gunn did, but isn't, like, 55 years old. So I just don't know what what the issue is with him. He's just big and lazy. Um, Julia Hart shouldn't be wrestling and shouldn't be talking, but she's, like, a good, like, talisman for the group, and I like that uh, – Billy Gunn told her to suck his dick and then beat the shit out of her. That was pretty cool. Um, it's like stuff like that. What did Taz say when they did the headbutt in the yam bag or something like that? Yeah, like stuff it's like that makes a- stuff like that makes AEW good. Like that's the good part of th- what they do. Like not having oversight, that's cool. But you know. There's been so many other negatives to that throughout this night that that one cool spot isn't going to redeem them. All right, so it is getting late in the night, so let's get to the main event. So MJF versus Adam Cole finally happens. Uh, I Again, like I said just before, I think this is match of the night. I thought this was a wonderfully told story from start to finish. I think... Given the storyline that we had going in, where they're supposed to be best friends, even though they're kind of not, but let's pretend they're best friends, and they gradually build up the animosity towards each other, I I, I think this was a masterfully told story. The only problem with it is Adam Cole not turning on MJF felt very anticlimactic and antithetical to the story they were telling right i think the slow build double turn was very much in play and it's never worked or it hardly ever works i should say and they had a chance to do it and they kind of fumbled the bag on that um because adam cole was really healing it up during the match you know pushing the limits of what you should do to someone in a wrestling ring I got to give Adam Cole a lot of props here. He really won me over in this match. 
this was he showed me like a gear that I haven't seen since he's been in AEW. It helped that he was tanned and in shape. Um, but I, this was masterful. This was Adam Cole at his best. And MJF played his part great too. He always does. I just want to give Adam Cole his flowers because he hasn't really had any marquee stuff like this. You know, it is interesting. Uh, Adam Cole is the star of the show in this match, which should be impossible in a match that has MJF. Um, I did think it was weird that he wore the shirt because once it finally came off, I was like, oh, you look great. You're skinny. Yeah, but like he's always been skinny. Like he's he's kind of a, a narrow chap, but but he has abs. In, yeah, he's in great shape. So I don't, I don't know why he's in, still insisting on wearing the shirt. I don't know what that's what the situation there is. Um because, I mean, this whole time, Alec and I have been shitting on him, but now I'm like, has he been in shape this whole fucking time? No, he, he's gotten in shape in the last... And I... So, me and Matt were texting during this match. Um, one of my big observations was Adam Cole had championship abs. Um, <laughs> whenever someone wins the belt, they get championship body. We saw it with... Cody Rhodes actually swerved us as well, because he had championship body going into WrestleMania. M- MJF, when he won the belt, you see it a lot. And so that was like one of the big tells. I was like, oh shit, he's got championship body. He's winning the belt. I now, honestly, fair, he did win the tag belt. So, <laughs> you know, I think he should have won the belt via nefarious actions in the show. I think it would have set them up for an epic storyline moving forward. Um, yeah, so that's he could have done the full blown could have done the full blown heel turn on Wednesday, right? Or maybe at the next pay per view, but you know the slow build heel turn just never happens. It's so tempting to just do the sudden betrayal. Like I'm struggling to figure out where are they going with this, which I guess is a good thing. I'm intrigued because it's like, what's who's turning on somebody's turning on somebody. Right? Or, or are they not? Like, it are could they be gonna... very possible that we're going to run back a very similar match, and this time around, Cole's going to fucking kick MJF's head off. No, when, I, when yeah, I think they're setting us up for, at, for MJF to... Uh, it, so if MJF goes heel in the next match, it would be stupid, right? Because it's like you've done all yeah. this character development... And you just throw it out it, the window. It almost feels it like they no booked sense. this match, but they didn't want to have Adam Cole go over as a heel in Wembley, and they're going to run this back like literally this weekend. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Which is because they're just like, oh, it's a, it's a smaller show. We're in Chicago. It'll go over well there, but we're not going to do. We're not going to have a sad ending to our biggest show. And it's very possible that's all this, that this match was about was to prolong this just enough. Mm-hmm. Because they well, didn't want to pull the trigger here. And especially at the very end of the show, they put up the, the Chirons that they're coming back to Wembley a year from now. That happened right after the main event, which that you're not going to want to be flashing that up there if you've got a, like a crappy, not a crappy, but, you know, an unsatisfying ending. You know, if the bell rang and fucking Roman Reigns music hit again, you don't want to be like, hey, do you want to buy tickets for the next one? (laughs) Right. It's just bad. It felt like, in general, they booked Wembley 
and then sort of backed into the card without altering any of their storylines. Like, wherever the fuck we were in the story for each person, it's like, well, that's what's going on the show. Instead of building to Wembley, it was just like, oh, we happen to be here right now. Boom. Yeah. You guys have a match. Where's... Whereas WWE is really good about if they've got a big stadium show, whether that's SummerSlam, whether it's... Uh, yeah, you pencil the card in and then back out. Right. And if you have to have some interim matches or, or whatever the case may be, you make sure that your crescendo is at the big stadium show. The curse How with that is. is everything gets fucking leaked. So when you build stuff too far in advance and you know where you're going, somebody's going to spill the beans online. And that, I think, would be... an. It's very odd. Everything that happens backstage in AEW gets leaked, but never... But not stories. Yeah, finishes, stories, who's getting pushed. That kind of stuff never gets leaked. Like, they probably don't fucking know. Yeah, WWE, (laughs) we can pretty much book Royal Rumble and and WrestleMania already. Well, and I don't think that's because of leaks, though. I think that's because of it's telegraphed. They're building to a natural... Like, I think the, the way people, the way the dirt sheets have operated for a while with WWE is you can look at it. And if you're not stupid, you can figure it out and you're going to be right. Like 70% of the time, which is, which is good enough. Yeah. But, but with AEW, we know that Tony Khan does his booking in his little notebooks and unless somebody gets their hands on it, you know, so long term. What do we think the move is for MJF? Adam Cole. I think needs to be a heel regardless and he'll probably get there. I think so. Here's the thing. Who's the top baby in a W right now? I know the, what the answer was supposed to be. It's not it was supposed to be CM Punk. It was supposed <laughs> to be CM Punk. After Cody left, Punk was supposed to be the number one baby. And that hasn't quite panned out for various reasons. I think they're going to position MJF as the number one baby. There's not like a litany of heels for him to work with, though, either. He's kind of been the only heel forever. You know, it, and that's okay, the problem with the other this story then? with Adam Cole is it's been running for so long that if Adam Cole inevitably screws MJF, you can't then walk back a trilogy where the, you know, yeah, the that's roles a, are reversed. It's, it's a one and done. I think that. It probably needs to be you can't keep doing this tweener shit either. Because I think what we'll end up doing is tweener MJF versus tweener Punk. I still, I don't think Punk's getting fired or suspended. I think he'll be back. Oh, because Punk Punk wasn't the instigator in this situation. So I think Punk will be back. Heck, just because he's suspended, we don't know how long that suspension is. That might only last till Friday. (laughs) Like, who knows? It's just the further we get into this, it becomes more and more clear for me that the best move for MJF is to leave AEW. I just don't see long term what they have for him, you know? Yeah, like I can't see him being the top guy in AEW for four or five years. Like what 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 is there to do? He's already worked with everybody. I mean, you can do him versus Kenny Omega, which would be a lot of fun. It's just do you want MJF to go back to being Look, MJF can go back to being the heel that he was at any point, but I think we found something with him as a baby face. Um, right, and I think that's what it is. I think this is this is AEW's chance to say, here's a homegrown guy, right? 
he's our guy from the beginning. He's our top baby face. It's different than anybody else they've had. It's different than it being punk. It's he can different be than like it being Cody. Connor McGregor is the way I would describe it. I think that's their blue. That should be your blueprint for babyface MJF, right? He's like he's a dick, but people want to love him. him. You know, it's like oh, I wish right. I was like Connor. I wish I was like MJF. Is the yeah? I think you can make it work, but you're right. It is unique to have that guy be a homegrown guy. And I think that's Punk's ultimate goal when he signed on. It just hasn't. Uh, yeah, we, we, but Punk can never be the He elevated guy. MJF quite a bit. I think yeah. the the program with him and MJF, I mean, it directly led to MJF getting the belt. It was in short order after that. MJF was really stalled waiting for something to do at that point, mm. if you remember. That yes, and so Punk Punk was the one that gave him the okay. Let's break into the main event scene for you. Let's make this happen. I just I don't know who he works with, man. Like, what's he gonna do? Work with John Moxley? They can fucking staple each other. <sighs> I mean, okay, as a babyface, he could go against Samoa Joe. Have him do the David versus Goliath thing with Joe. I just think. AEW's got a problem of not having a good heel pipeline, and I think it's because any of the guys who get over, for whatever reason, want to be babyfaces there, or they're allowed to just be babyfaces. Like, the Bucks are heels, presumably, but they just act like babyfaces when they want to. It's so weird, because in WWE, most people in WWE are heels, in general, right? They've got a bigger heel roster than a face roster, you need it that way. Yeah. Well, a lot of these guys, even though they have exclusive deals with AEW, they have the ability to work elsewhere a lot. They also, a lot of them, I don't know how many of these guys have their merch exclusive through AEW. Like Punk's got his own merch line outside of AEW. So babyfaces sell merch. And if you're a semi-indie professional wrestler because you have this weird quasi-exclusive independent contractor deal with AEW, why be a fucking heel and not make money on your merch? Although, I don't know how true that is on the indies because Matt Cardona is a heel on the indies, but he sells a shitload of merch. It's different because he's an established star. And so Matt, if you think about the heels in AEW, it's Christian is really healing it up. Established star. Samoa mm. Joe is really healing it up. Think about the top heels. They're all veterans. And I think Cardona really fits into that bucket of he's popular regardless of what he does. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the direct reason. Uh, but I'm speculating that it might be a contributing factor. Because, I mean, Punk had said that in the past, too, even when he was in WWE. He's like, I don't want to turn heel. I'm making a fuck ton of money on merch because I'm the, the highest merch seller. I don't know if you guys remember that. So it's like, I wonder if that yeah. same philosophy applies in a place like AEW. It's like, I don't want to fucking turn heel. It'll be interesting to see where we go from here, mainly because I don't see anywhere to go. <laughs> Well, also, we've got a pay-per-view, what, tomorrow? Yeah. As of this episode, and what the fuck's on it? Nobody knows. (laughs) Like, 
This is what one match announced. It's time to really elevate Jay White and Juice Robinson into the main event scene. I think if we're looking for guys that that those could be potential guys for MJF. Okay, so there's actually five matches. If you want to me to run through these, yeah. You'll, you'll, be su- you'll be surprised at what's on here. It doesn't feel like a pay-per-view, but it's kind of a good good looking show. So you have um, Kenny Omega versus Takashita in a singles match, just one-on-one. Uh, okay. Orange Cassidy or Penta versus John Moxley. That Ooh, I don't know what, what? that means. Uh, presumably it's going to be Cassidy because Cassidy Got pinned Moxley, which right. That could be really good. Um, then you have um, Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho for the TBS championship. Okay. Yeah. Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Ooh, which could that's be a hoss very fight. fun. Uh, and then Luchasaurus versus Darby Allen. <laughs> Man, I hope okay. this is the last time we ever see Luchasaurus. That would be such a treat. That match is going to be garbage. <laughs> I th- I'm kind of worried about Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro, too. I don't know if Hobbs is there yet to have a Hoss fight like that. You got to be really good to be able to pull that off. And I don't know if Miro is good enough to carry that. Yeah, I think Miro's better as working with smaller guys. It's just a weird pick. It's a weird card. Like it, To me, it just reads like a, a high-level... <laughs> dynamite like i, I, I yeah. can't it's, it's imagine like winter's coming or something yeah it's like one of those i can't imagine i don't know how long ago they probably announced and sold tickets for all out you buy tickets for this and then they announce a wembley show like fucking seven days before this <laughs> and then you just get fuck you pay pay-per-view price to go to the united center and get fucking this Oh, yeah. Could you imagine paying like $500 for ringside seats? Because you're like, oh, shit, it's all out. And no CM Punk. Fucking no MJF. No Adam Cole. um, Just no Brian Danielson because he's not even fucking there now. Um, What a weird fucking card. You know, Young Bucks, FTR. I mean, a lot of your stars. We'll probably see. We'll probably see some of them on there. Um, You know, what's interesting to me is among many things that AEW does that's WCW and Jace. One of the big ones is giving away premium matches on free TV and then their pay-per-views having shit cards. Think about this. A year ago, we had Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega on free TV to open the show. And then we get that card on All In in Chicago. Now, I know there's reasons for that, injuries and stuff, but isn't that insanity? Like, what are we doing, guys? Yeah, so for comparison, last year's All Out had the Casino Ladder match that I believe was the one that was won by MJF on his return, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. And then you had the um, finale of the Trios Championship Tournament, the inaugural Trios Championship Tournament, mm-hmm. which... Is whatever, but it did feature the elite uh, versus Adam Page in the Dark Order. You had uh, a Jake Cargill match, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs uh, versus Ricky Starks. You had Tony Storm versus Britt Baker, which I believe, or Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and uh, Sheeta, 
I believe this is like Tony Storm's first championship win. Um, you had Wardlow and FTR versus uh, Jay Lethal in the Motor City Machine Guns. Uh, Jericho versus Danielson. Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy. Uh, Darby Allen, Sting, and Miro versus the House of Black. CM Punk versus John Moxley. Eh, Some of these matches don't. Card, si- honestly, but <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's still full of stars. Yes, you're at least going to see the. Yeah, stars. You've got the right toys. They're just not playing with each other right but there's so yeah. on top of the pre-show there are 15 matches on this card i didn't even go i didn't talk about all of them there's just a lot more shit going on and all we have right now is five for this so it's just it's interesting <laughs> i'm just glad that i didn't buy tickets to this so yeah i mean look in general uh, I think the Wembley show was great. I think it was one of my favorite um, pay-per-views this year. I don't know if I want to sit here and try to, you know, compare it out to was it better than Mania, was it better than SummerSlam or anything like that, but it was a very good, entertaining show. Um, yeah. So last week um, when we did our uh, our little addition at the beginning of the show, we did say that this week we were going to do a tribute to uh, Bray Wyatt and cover his career. Obviously, uh, reviewing All In took way more time than I think we thought it would. And we want to make sure we actually give enough time to the Bray Wyatt stuff and not just cram it into 10 or 20 minutes. So um, we will cover that next week um, as pretty much its own show or most of a show. Um, just so we can give him the uh, the time that his career really you know deserves. So before we go, uh, I guess let me hit up the uh, the usual stuff. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Such Good Shit Pod. Email us at Such Good Shit Pal at gmail dot com. Um, also subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast listening platform you like to use. And then with that said. The immortal last words. Do you have any parting words? Don't buy all out. Teach AEW a lesson. Don't worry, I won't. Alec was never planning to. No. (laughs) That was never in the cards.